participating together wherever you are in an online uh, streaming version of communion. And we'd love to have you be a part of that with us. So feel free to kind of gather your own supplies. If you have crackers, juice, whatever you have to use that can make this a special time for you today. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 15. We'll put it up online on the online platform as well. But if you've got it on your phone or an iPad, feel free to jump in there. I hope you're doing well. Uh, We are over a month into this kind of sheltering, staying at home global pandemic. And I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I've seen some things that make me think maybe people are starting to crumble, right? I I don't know. It's getting harder and harder. I saw some tweets this week that made me think maybe we could maybe we could just share some of these tweets to help you feel a little bit better about maybe your own mental state. So one of the tweets I saw, uh, these were almost like journals. I thought they were so fun. One said, day three of quarantine and distance learning from home. Six-year-old writes biography titled, Why I Hate My family. Have you felt that? Quarantine day six, this was another tweet, went to this restaurant called The Kitchen. You have to gather all the ingredients and make everything on your own. I have no clue how this place is still in business. I thought that was great and sounds familiar. Somebody put out and said, homeschooling update day nine. Today we did math. If you have three kids and they're awake roughly 13 hours in the day and you're trying to work from home, how many times will you hear the word snack? Isn't that great? It's a lot in our house. Uh, Somebody said, quarantine day 13, I am no longer allowed to chew or swallow in her presence. I don't know who her is, but I have some guesses. Uh, I love this one, quarantine diary, fiercely fought with the husband over the day of the week. We were both wrong. And then my favorite, probably my favorite of all time, there was a, a, a child who drew a note and, and it was on his birthday and he said this in his note. He said, Dear Corona, thanks for ruining my birthday. You are the F word. Sincerely, Timmy. And that's exactly how he wrote it. We are living in close quarters right now, right? We're over a month into this and we're living in some spaces that maybe we're not used to. And you know what? If we're realizing anything in this season, I think we're realizing this. Living in close quarters can put incredible strain on relationships and especially the relationships that we have with the closest people to us. As I was thinking about that this week, I wanted to tell you a story about close quarters from my own life. And I thought, you know what, since we're streaming, why not not tell you this story in a streaming version? I want to actually show you where this story happened. So I want you to see this video real quickly, and I want you to hear the story of my close quarters experience. Check this out. So I am sitting squatted, hunched at the entrance to Bowden Cave over here in Randolph County, uh, outside of Elkin. Some of you may have been here before. Some of you maybe have gone into Bowden Cave, explored Bowden Cave. And I wanted to be here today, one, because when I was about 19, 20 years old in college, I had the opportunity with a discipleship group of guys, of friends of mine, to come and spend an entire day exploring these caves. We had a friend who was a guide and he said, I want to take you guys, I want to show you these caves. And I got to tell you, I'm thinking when we show up, I'm thinking this is going to be like smoke hole caverns or Seneca caverns. It's going to be well lit. There's going to be paths. We're going to get to walk around for a little bit, explore, see some cool stuff. Then we'll move on and get, get on with the rest of our day. It was nothing like that. We spent six, seven hours maybe in this cave. 
And I don't know if you can see it, but you basically, you kind of crawl back through here and you just spend your day exploring. Now he knew where he was going. We had no idea. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most physically intensive days of my entire life. There were places where there was a stream going underneath us and we had to kind of straddle the stream and brace ourselves and shuffle across. And then there was a place, and this is by far my least favorite part of the day. There was a place where the, the ceiling was about this high and we had to crawl through. Our headlamps on in one single line. We're shuffling along, crawling through. And all I could see was the backside of the big guy in front of me. Now I gotta tell you, in my entire life, I had never felt claustrophobic, but in that space, crawling along with that one guy in front of me, all I wanted to do was for him to get out of the way and me to be able to stand up. And I realized exactly what we're talking about today, that when you're in these tight spaces, these close quarters, your relationships can get a little stressed. They can get a little tense. Those close quarters put stress on our relationships. I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to get room to breathe and I couldn't find it. And I wanted him to hurry up and I didn't care how he felt. But you know what? After that day, after those six, seven hours in this cave, I told that story for years. We had an adventure. I remember telling everybody I could find about that space that we crawled through and feeling like we had survived something amazing. But in the middle of it, in the middle of those close quarters, I got exactly what we're talking about today. I got the grumbles. I got the complaints. I wanted it to be done. I wanted it to be over. I was hungry. I was tired. I was physically sore. I didn't want to be with those people anymore. I just wanted to get it over with. You know, it's amazing. Our, our relationships are the same way, aren't they? When we're living in these close quarters, when we're uh, maybe in these tight spaces or seasons of stress, it puts strain on our relationships. Many of you in this season of staying at home, being sheltered in place, walking through this global pandemic, we're feeling that in our relationships. You're spending more time with, with the ones that you're supposed to love, that you're called to love, than you ever have. And I bet in some ways you're feeling the stress of that. I don't know if you realize that or not, but it happens in our relationships even when we're not stuck at home. I remember when Carrie and I got married, we were told if you can just survive the first year of marriage, everything's going to be okay. What they were really saying was if you can learn to live with someone else in these tight spaces, you might make it. When our kids are born, first time that we, we bring our kids home, we start realizing how quickly, just how selfish we are, right? We realize how much we loved our sleep. Even now, we're living with our kids, with our families. We either want to kill our kids or they want to kill us at times. Think about your neighbors, the people that Jesus flat out tells us to love, right? He tells us to, to, to give up our rights for. Isn't it amazing? how annoying your neighbor can be just simply by the length of their grass because they don't cut it enough. See, these tight spaces put a strain on relationships like we've never imagined. We're starting a series today called Close Quarters. And I'm actually inviting you and I want to be sharing with you, teaching you how to love the people that we are closest to. How to continue to love the people that we're closest to. Because at times we feel the stress of those tight spaces. And there may be no better time to be talking about this than right now when we feel like we're stuck at home, we're stressed out. Maybe you feel like you're in that tight space and you just want those people to get out of your way so you can be you. We've got a lot to learn here. We've got a lot to learn about what it means to care for each other, to continue to love each other, even in the midst of the stress that we're feeling. If you're feeling financial stress, maybe you're trying to figure out how to navigate not having a job or an economy that's failing, if you're feeling relational stress, maybe your marriage has suffered in these past few weeks. 
if you're feeling the stress of being a parent? How do you continue to love your little kids who can't fend for themselves? Or how do you continue to love those teenagers, those college students who are back home with you all the time? What does that look like? This is the conversation that we need to be having. How do we live in close quarters and continue to love the people most that we're called to love? So as we talk about these close quarters today, I, I want to introduce you to another global pandemic that spreads right in the middle of our close quarters. It's something that's actually, in reality, way more contagious than the coronavirus, something that we've all already, all of us have had and we've all seen others have, whether we know it or not. It's a viral epidemic that I call the grumbles. Right? I know that's a silly name, but that's what I call it. And it is rampant right now. I see it. We see. We crack jokes about it on social media just to vent our complaints, our grumbles. We get short-tempered with our loved ones when we spew the grumbles on them. We gripe and lecture our kids, and they catch our grumbles. We complain about our neighbors. And all the time, these grumbles are just spreading viral. They're just going everywhere. See, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a story in the scriptures that I think shows us some, some really important things about how we navigate the relationships that we have with the people that we're called to love the most, the people that are closest to us. We're going to learn about how God intersects those relationships and how he can sustain us even in the midst of our relational failures. It's hard to love people in close quarters. And this whole story that I want to walk through actually started with the case of the grumbles. Let me, let me set the scene for you. If you know the history of Israel, if you were to trace back in the Old Testament, you would know that God came to a man named Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham was old and he didn't think this could happen, but late in life, Abraham had a son named Isaac and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had these 12 sons who became the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel. And this nation grew out of Abraham's lineage. And so what happens to the Israelites is that they end up in Egypt living in slavery for about 400 years. You, you probably know this story. You probably know the story of Moses being called by God to go and set God's people, the Israelites, free from slavery in Egypt. And what you may not know is that when God did this, when he chose to send these plagues over the Egyptians and finally Pharaoh said, okay, Israelites, get out of my country. When, when Pharaoh finally said that, what you may not know is that when the Israelites left Egypt, listen, this is amazing to me, there were about two to three million Israelites, two to three million Israelites who walked out of slavery across the Red Sea. Remember, God parted the waters. About two to three million Israelites walked across that Red Sea. And I love this because if you look at the story in Exodus, you can find this in Exodus 15, Immediately after they crossed the Red Sea, there's this incredible moment of worship. The Israelites, millions of them are gathered. They're singing, they're worshiping, they're praising God for delivering them out of slavery. In many ways, I think when we can finally gather back together in a building, it's going to be just an amazing time of worship. This is what the Israelites were experiencing. And this is where we pick up this story today because we're told that the Israelites begin their journey into the desert, out of slavery, immediately following their worship and entering the desert. Look at Exodus 15, verse 27. Here's what we're told. Now the Israelites came to Elam, 
They came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Now, I just want you to kind of pay attention. We are told there are 12 springs of water, there's 70 palm trees. Somebody took the time to count this. I, I want you to picture this. You've crossed the Red Sea. You're coming out of 400 years, generation after generation after generation of slavery, and your first stop, the first place you decide to rest is a place with 12 fresh springs of water and 70 palm trees. Now, I don't know about you, but for a former slave, this is paradise. This is a place of rest, a place of, holy cow, we made it out alive. Look how beautiful this place is. One writer says, there's no grounds for complaining here. You got palm trees and springs of water. You should not be complaining. The water, the food are good. It is a special place after an incredible journey. To me, it sounds like the beginning of a spring break, right? Like we're there, we're chilled out, we're relaxed. Maybe even the beginning of this pandemic. Like some of us were really excited to not have to go into work, to not have to go to school. We're watching movies all day long. We're sleeping in, we're chilling at home, and we haven't really been hit with the reality of the virus yet. See, this is awesome. This is Elam, palm trees and springs. Just give me a fruity drink with an umbrella and we're good to go. But it doesn't last, does it? Because they start moving again. They leave Elam. Look at the very start of the next chapter, Exodus 16, verse 1. Here's what it says. The whole community, now remember, two to three million of them, the whole community set out from Elam. Remember, Elam is paradise after slavery. So they left paradise and they came to, listen, I love this name, they came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they've come out of Egypt. Two to three million people are heading into the desert. Now, I don't, I don't care how tight your house feels right now. That's a lot of people in really close quarters to take a trip into the desert. You ever done a road trip with people? Multiply that by two to three million. So they leave Elam, paradise, and enter the desert of sin. Now, doesn't that just sound like awful, right? Something like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, the desert of sin, Sounds like Las Vegas, right? But it has nothing to do, the name of this place has nothing to do with committing sins. It may have actually been a reference to the pagan god of the moon. What we know, what we know here is that the desert was between Elam, paradise, and it was between Mount Sinai, which is where the Israelites would end up standing in a mountain listening to God reveal himself. So listen, don't, don't miss this. Between paradise and God's revelation, between uh, palm trees and springs of water and God showing up in your life is the desert. It's the desert. It's the wilderness. And, and I want you to recognize this because the Israelites in close quarters, all two to three million of them, are somewhere between the paradise of rescue and the mountain of revelation. They're in a desert where they're going to wander. Ancient church leaders, when they used to describe the spiritual formation of those who followed Christ, they would, they would actually describe spiritual formation in several different ways. And if you're on Facebook, we'll be talking about this this week in our devotionals that we've been doing. But, but they would talk about the first stage of spiritual growth being awakening. It's like when you recognize God is doing something in your life. I feel like that's Elam. That's the place of palm trees and waters. Man, we are rescued from slavery. Look how good this is. But then they also said that the second stage of spiritual growth, and this word's just ominous, right? It's purging. It's the desert. It's God cleaning out, getting rid of things 
in our life. The, the Israelites are headed into a place where God is going to work some things out of them. He's going to purge some things out of them. He's going to show them after 400 years of living as slaves how to not be slaves anymore. He's going to work the Egypt out of them. We understand this, right? We know what it's like at times to have God work in us in ways that gets really uncomfortable. When God starts showing us things that we need to change, showing us things about our life, we'd rather stay in Elam. We'd rather stay in paradise. Just feeling good about God's rescue, his comfort, his love. Or we'd rather bypass the desert and get to the mountain where God's going to show us who he is. Revelation. We want God to speak to us, but we don't want to be challenged. But look at what happens between paradise and the revelation. Almost immediately with this community, the two to three million, look at what happens in verse two. It says in the desert. In the desert, in the wilderness, the whole community, now underline this, highlight this, circle this, the whole community grumbled. This is where the virus starts to spread, the grumbles. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Did you catch it? Did you see that right here in this moment, the Israelites caught this virus called the grumbles? It's the virus that all of us have caught before. Maybe you have it now. They caught a massive, super contagious, pandemic-sized case of the grumbles, the whole community. You know what that is in our terms? It's all y'all, two to three million people grumbling. Now, if you underline that word, you can, you can take notes, you can write this down, maybe just remember this. The word for grumble here, and I love this word, the word for grumble in the Hebrew is loon. L-U-W-N, it means to grumble or murmur, and they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. They were unhappy with the whole system of leadership. Does this sound familiar when you get the grumbles? We're going to blame somebody else. Now let me say this to you. I bet you've had the grumbles somewhere in the past month. I have. I've been frustrated, grumpy, complaining about things. And if you haven't had them yet, you will. Just hang in there. They're coming. We're going to see it all over our social media again really soon. If you haven't already, we're going to be grumbling about the inconveniences, about leadership and politics, about schools needing to get back, schools needing to stay home. The grumbles are more contagious than any pandemic we've ever seen. And the Israelites had them. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Look what happens next. Verse 2, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. And then they say, there, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entirely, entire assembly to death. This is case in point of hangry. They are hungry, they're grumbling, they're angry, and they are looning. They are grumbling, complaining about all their negative circumstances. And you know where that takes them to? You know where the grumbling always takes us to? It takes us to the if-onlys. See, the grumbles always take us to the if-onlys, complaining about the negative circumstances of our present so much that it puts us a whole bunch, puts in us a whole bunch of if-onlys. If only we had more money, we'd be okay. If only we had more time, we'd be okay. If only I had less stress. If only my spouse did this. If only my kids did this. If only work was like this. See, the grumbles always create the if onlys. I want you to think about just for a second how ridiculous the Israelites sound here after 400 years of slavery, their first complaint. If only God had killed us back in Egypt. It's crazy. It's absurd. 
If only God had let us die with meat in our bellies instead of parting the waters of a sea, at least we would have died full. It's nuts, right? They are just a short time out of this amazing miracle where they walked through a sea and had a revival service on the shoreline, and now they're wishing they had died in slavery. This is what the grumbles do to us. They remove rationale. And it's exactly who we become. We become, if only, people. And I would say it's, it's also the place so many of us find ourselves, especially when we find ourselves in the middle of living in close quarters. We find ourselves grumbling with the if-onlys. If only my kids would pick up after themselves, we could be happy. If only my husband would listen when I actually told him things. If only my wife would show more interest in me. If only we had a little bit more money. If only my friends would care as much as I do. If only my neighbor would clean up his property. And you know what goes hand in hand with this? We see it here. Blame. See, the Israelites are swept away with this if only, but they're, they're also blaming Moses and Aaron. Why did you do this to us? Blame is like sneezing when you have the grumbles. It's going to spread. Take us back to Egypt, Moses and Aaron. See, I want to suggest to you today, I know exactly where the grumbles come from. I do. I, I think we see it in the story of the Israelites, and I think we see it in ourselves. The grumbles are easy to spot. I, I bet every one of you watching right now knows grumblers. We've all been grumblers. And I want to say to you today, I know where it comes from, and I know how to diagnose it because it's obvious. See, as we start this journey of close quarters, all about learning to care for and love well the people that are closest to us, maybe we, can, maybe we can start by diagnosing our own grumbles and get back to the love that we've been called to share. So let me tell you today where the, where the grumbles come from. It's a weird place. It's a, it's a hard place. It's actually a place we all slip into, and it's the place the Israelites slip into, and it's a place we have to see to understand. I, I would say it this way. The grumbles happen when we camp in the negativity of our present. When we camp in the not-so-good circumstances of the here and now. See, there's something I didn't tell you about that word for grumbling. That word loon means to grumble, to murmur, to complain. But you can also translate the word loon in Hebrew to mean to lodge, to camp, to permanently dwell. And so when we grumble, we're not just complaining, we're actually camping out in the negativity. See, the grumbles keep us camped out in our own complaints. See, when we feel the stress of close quarters, we become the grumblers and we zero in on the negativity. We loon ourselves right down in the middle of the worst parts of our circumstances and we can, if only ourselves, right into wishing life was completely different. Parents, did you... Do you ever have those moments where your kiddos, especially, especially when they were young, just physically, your kiddos just decided to, to, to loon. They, they were camping, right? Like they shut down. You asked them to do something, then you told them to do something, and they just land anchored themselves to the floor. Immovable body, either rigid or limp. It didn't matter. You couldn't move them. See, this is what the grumbles do to us. They put us in a place where our lenses to the future, our perspective of the future, and our understanding of the past get turned off. See, the grumbles are blinders for our timelines. When I was in that cave, I wanted to quit. 
I wanted out of that place. I wanted to just stop moving. I didn't want to be in any more tight spaces. But the thing was, I had to keep moving toward the future to get out of the cave. And I had to remember what I had already overcome in the past to get out of the cave. Camping in the negativity of the present wasn't going to work. So friends, today, if you're if you're stuck, if you're looking at your closest relationships right now or even your own circumstances and you just see nothing good about them, if your marriage feels like it's imploding, if you're worn out by your kids, if you can't stand your coworkers or have contemplated ways to off your neighbors, if you can let go, can't let go of the anxiety of this pandemic, if the grumbles are all over your life, I bet you're camping in the negativity of the present. And and you know what? I'm not denying that some of this is hard. It is. But you're camping there. And I bet your perspective on the future has been skewed by your camping. And I bet you've forgotten the way God has helped you, has sustained you, has helped you overcome and survive the past. See, today and the rest of our time together, I want to help you climb out of, overcome the grumbles. I want to invite you to remember the past and renew some hope for the future. I want to remind you what you've forgotten and encourage you about your own future, especially when it comes to your closest relationships, because I think this is what we need. I think that when it comes to the people closest to, we cannot camp and we cannot grumble because they need the love that we have to offer them and not the grumbles that often define us. So let me, let me tell you what we've forgotten. Let's, let's start there. Let me tell you what we've forgotten. First, we've forgotten often when we're in the grumbles, when we're camping in the negative of the present, we've forgotten God's promise. See, the Israelites forgot God's promise to Abraham. They forgot that he had promised to Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. They, they had forgotten God's promise to Moses. You're going to free these people. They forgot that he had promised to deliver them, and we do the same. God has made promises and issued challenges and calls to every single one of the closest relationships around you. If we're talking about the people that you're called to love the most, the people that it's hard to love, when it comes to your spouse, do you recognize that Scripture tells us in Ephesians 5 that marriage is the single greatest mystery in the world that reflects the love of Christ for his church? That's God's promise. That in Matthew 19, Jesus says, so they are no longer two. Man and woman are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God has promised to create something unique and special and divine in the midst of your marriage. And we can't forget that. When it comes to your children, Proverbs 22 says, if we train up a child the way they should go, even when they're old, they won't turn from it. That's a promise of God. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage. They're an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is reward. This is the gift. Even when it's hard, even when we're struggling, even when we're camping in the negativity, we're grumbling about our kids. The promise is God has gifted them to us. And neighbors, we don't even have time to talk about how often in Scripture God talks about how we're called to love our neighbors to care for the people that it's hard to love. We've forgotten God's promise because we get hurt at times, because we camp. Here's the second thing we've forgotten. We actually tend to forget our freedom. 
Now, I said this early, but part of, part of the issue for the Israelites was that God had set them free and they still understood themselves to be slaves. God had led them out of slavery and they were still living like slaves. See, for many of us, when it comes to our relationships, to the closest relationships around us, we are living like slaves instead of living in freedom. We live with legalism fenced in instead of being set free and turned loose. We don't understand our marriage as being consumed with freedom. We actually keep score in our marriage when it's all about grace and freedom and mercy. We do the same thing in our parenting or with our neighbors. See, it's not about legalism. It's about having adventures. It's about creating joy. It's about offering hospitality to our neighbors. You see, we forget God's promises and we forget our freedom. Here's the third thing, the last thing that we forget. We tend to forget God's favor for us. See, we forget who God is to us. I think the Israelites might have still been drying off from the winds of the Red Sea, but they had already forgotten his favor and rescue in their lives. Friends, can I just say to you, when you're camping in the grumbles, when you're complaining, when you're stuck in that negativity, especially as it relates to the people that you're called to love the most, I don't think you're often struggling to love your husband or to love your wife or to be patient with your kids or offer embrace to your neighbor because of their issues. I don't think it's their issue that is the issue. It's not them you're resenting. You're actually struggling because you're struggling with yourself. You've forgotten or, or maybe never realized how the God of the universe feels about you. You've missed out on how he's been faithful, how he gave you a marriage worth fighting for or, or kids that are healthy or a life that is privileged in incredible ways. I want to remind you of the favor of God today. I don't want you to forget that the God of the universe in Zephaniah 3, it says he takes great delight in you. He rejoices over you with singing. When God thinks about you, he has a song that he sings we can't forget and then we got to talk about this see if the if the grumbles keep us camping in the negative of the present we've got to remember the things we've forgotten but we've also got to look to the future and we've got to focus on the future where do we focus we focus on the promised land in the middle of the desert when you're in the wilderness you can't forget the promised land this is the part of today to not miss. I know we don't like this part. I know we don't like the idea of the desert, the idea of God using circumstances and situations, relationships and realizations in our lives to purge things out of us on the journey to freedom. It, it, but it is real. It happens. It's ancient and it is normal in the life of those who follow Jesus. There are moments, seasons, situations that you are going to face because, because God knows the good they will bring you once you press through them. And the only way to do that, the, the way to move with mission and purpose, passion and hope is to stay focused on the promised land. Don't lose sight of the future. Nearly every spiritual writer that you read suggests that on the other side of the desert, on the other side of the wilderness, remember it was this way for the Israelites, on the other side of the purging is Sinai. It's the place of revelation on the other side of this story, the Israelites will meet God, will encounter God and hear from God on a mountain. But they have to go through the wilderness to get there. If I want you to get anything in this series, I want you to apply this principle to the ones you are closest to. I want you to take your marriage and refuse to surrender to the grumbles because you believe on the other side of the circumstance is hope. 
promise, revelation, and a deeper encounter with Jesus. I I want us to resist the grumbles. I want you to look at your kids when they're wearing you out at two years of age and keeping you sleepless at 16 years of age. And I want you to hang in there and focus on the promised land. I want you to remember that the love you pump out today and day in and day out when it feels like it's running dry, this love is going to sustain the relationship and Jesus will meet you on the other side. I want you to focus right in the middle of the tests and remember there's hope for that neighbor. Keep praying for the ones who don't know Christ. Keep loving the ones who are hard to love. See, don't ever lose sight of the future because we serve a God who sees the future. Don't lose sight of the hope that that future holds. Think about your relationships. Think about the ones you're staying at home with right now. Think about the ones you've distanced yourself from that you need to reach out to. Think about your best friends Think about your spouse. Think about your extended family that maybe you've written off. Think about your neighbors who don't follow Christ. Think about your own children. And let me ask you these questions with those names and those faces in your mind. What have you forgotten about those relationships? What do you need to remember? And where do you need to reclaim focus? When it comes to your marriage, to your kids, your neighbors, and your family, maybe you're camping in the negativity. Maybe it's been a really hard season. Maybe the marriage feels really fragile, or your patience is wearing thin, or your spouse, he or she, doesn't even know how close you've been to actually walking out. Or maybe God's speaking to you today about that neighbor that you don't like and reminding you that that's the very neighbor you're called to love unconditionally. Maybe you're worn out with worrying about your kids, trying to figure out how to engage their hearts when it feels like they've turned them off. And maybe today God is simply reminding you that he created those kids and he created their hearts and all you're called to is to focus on loving them unconditionally and pursuing their hearts in whatever way that you can. Whatever relationship it is, I'm inviting you today to consider that even if you're between Elam and Sinai, between paradise and the revelation on God's mountain, even if this season feels like a desert that's burning you up, don't quit. Don't get caught up with the grumbles. Don't camp in the negativity. Keep remembering God has rescued you from slavery. He set you free and keep hoping for the promise of the future, the promise of these relationships because ultimately Jesus cares about relationships above all else. He cares about your relationship with him. He wants that to be the promise that you cling to. You are loved unconditionally. You are embraced by a God who forgives even when the grumbles overtake you and you fail miserably to love the ones you should. He loves and he heals and he redeems and he gives second and third and tenth and one hundredth chances. Friends, listen. In all grace and all truth, I want to say to you, turn the grumbles off in this season. Get up, keep moving through the desert, keep trusting in the dark until you get to the light. If the people of Jesus don't have hope in this season, then how will the world know hope? I'd love to pray for us together as we get ready to take communion as families, as individuals, as friends in our homes. Let's pray in this moment. Jesus, in this place, we ask you to help us get up and keep moving. No more camping. 
in the negativity. God, when it comes to living in close quarters, some of us, we struggled with the closest relationships to us long before this pandemic ever broke out. And some of us are struggling right now to love the people that we're called to love the most. So Father, God, help us to love well, to remember how you've helped us overcome in the past, to remember your promise and your faithfulness and your favor to us, and then to focus on the hope that's on the other side. Lord, as we enter this space, taking the Lord's Supper together, as we gather around the table, some of us with people that it's been hard to love lately, would you remind us and would you encourage us with just how present you are in our lives? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Watch this as we go into communion together.